beautiful people. It's your favorite feminist podcast hosts, Kylie and Molly here. Nevertheless, She Existed stands in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And we wanted to do our very, very small part by platforming the voices of Black storytellers in our community. We are releasing bite-sized episodes with stories of badass women from history as told by Black storytellers that have not yet made it to our podcast feed. On this episode, we are featuring one of our favorite people we've ever gotten to work with, Catherine Clune-Taylor. Catherine Clune-Taylor, PhD, is a Black queer feminist writer, educator, and activist. She is currently an assistant professor of feminist science and technology studies at San Diego State University, which is even cooler than you think it is, about 13.6% cooler, to be precise. So please send her some love, and by love, we mean cold hard cash, and Venmo her at Catherine-Taylor-23. Catherine would also like to direct donations to the Emergency Relief Fund, which provides bail funds to keep trans folks in New York City out of prison. You can find the links to both of those in our episode description. This episode is so, so good. Catherine is celebrating the life of the Black, lesbian, mother, warrior, poet, Audre Lorde. Here is her story. Thank you. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, I am super thrilled to be here for my last show here at caveat and i'm so excited as a like big old black queer that i get to come here today and talk to you about one of my favorite big old black queers it's like this is perfect and let me do the thing there we go audrey lord yeah so yeah i was like this this is amazing um as was said i'm moving to california i'm moving on Friday, my life is in boxes, it's bananas, but I'm super thrilled to head out to California and wait out the climate change apocalypse on the beach with legalized weed and tacos. And I suggest you consider it as well. I mean, because like you're gonna fall into the ocean here too. Like I'm just gonna fall into the ocean there, but you are as well without tacos. So think about it, okay? That was my like public service announcement at the top. California, it's the place to wait out the climate change apocalypse. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm so thrilled. When I was asked to come and speak today, I was so excited and I was like immediately, I have to talk about Audrey Lord. I have to talk about Audrey Lord. I love her so much. She is like, the biggest, angriest, blackest, lesbian, feminist around. And I'm gonna tell you about why. Uh, and if any of you have maybe seen this like on Facebook, on social media, there are a few different versions of her, like this was clearly a little photo shoot they did of her with this chalkboard. And this is my favorite picture because she is so much just like, what? Like there are a bunch of them you can find online where she's like got her glasses on, she's like smiling and sitting, and then this one she's just like, is this fucking done? <laughs> and it felt right. So, let us begin. Um, oh, this way. Uh, so I'll talk a little bit about her early life, and I'm not even gonna lie, this entire slide is just so I can post this adorable fucking picture of her with uh, at like her first communion. That almost made me like rethink my stance on procreation. 
because I was like, I bet you and I'd have a fucking cute kid. And like, hopefully it would be cute like this. But then I was like, oh, right, climate change apocalypse. Pass. I was just like, whatever, I'll have the tacos. It'll be fine. Um, so she was born in New York uh, in February of 1934. And what I really love about her is like right from the start, she's real fucking weird. Like she is a weird kid. She learns to read later. She learns to like read and talk and write kind of all at the same time. She's very quiet at first, and she's the youngest of th three girls. She's nearsighted to the point of almost being legally blind, and so hence the like cute little glasses. And she wrote her first poem in the eighth grade. She published her first poem in Seventeen Magazine when she was 15 years old, and it was a poem called Spring. And she submitted it to her school's like newspaper to be published, and they were like, oh girl, this is a little too sexy. You 15. We can't publish that. And so she sent it to Seventeen Magazine and got it published. Which I appreciate, right? They were like, you can't do that. And she was like, well, fuck you then. I'm going to go above you. Which, which is like, which is an impulse I appreciate and share. <laughs> um, she also attended poetry workshops that were sponsored by the Harlem Writers Guild while she was in high school. But she also noted that she always felt like an outcast from that guild. She was always on the outside. And she said she wasn't accepted because, quote, she was both crazy and queer, but they thought she would grow out of it. But she didn't. <laughs> Which I also love. She graduated from Hunter College in 1959. She was a librarian. She got her master's of library science um, from Columbia in 1961, which is awesome. Librarians are fucking amazing. Anyone who knows a librarian is like, oh yeah, they seem like fucking amazing, crazy political bitches. <laughs> Someone knows, I see that over there. Oh, that's a librarian. I see it. I see it. <laughs> um, and she also, in here, <laughs> I didn't actually put it on this slide because she doesn't talk about it much herself. She talks about her kids, but she did actually get married to a man, had two kids, got divorced. I didn't put too much in there about it because she never talks about that dude. And it's like, you know, I get it. We all make mistakes early on. <laughs> right? <laughs> Shit happens. But I will say, I just found out backstage that her daughter is an ob in Harlem. And I'm like, oh, I want to go for a pap smear. <laughs> right? Like, I don't need it. But I also just want to say that Audrey Lord's daughter touched my vagina. <laughs> right? Like, I just, it would be like, well, like, that just feels like some real, that's something. You know what I mean? Um, she also uh, lived in Staten Island for a very long time, which I also feel like is worth mentioning as a bridge and tunnel person myself. Made me feel a little bit better about that. Um, but yeah, she also did like a ton of shit. And actually, friends, I was like, I don't even know where to start. Because in reality, I could talk about her for like two hours. And... I mean, I also could just like stay up here and steal everyone else's time. And while I do have that kind of big dick energy, I am also a Canadian. 
And so I am very polite about how I wield it. <laughs> so I will not do that. But it did mean I had to pick out some stuff to talk about because like I could talk about everything. She taught all over New York City. She taught at Lehman College, she taught at CUNY, she taught at Hunter College. She also wrote over 12 books of poetry and prose. And I'm not gonna talk a ton about her poetry because like I have a PhD in philosophy so I don't know anything about that shit. <laughs> like, at all. We're not a creative people. <laughs> have you seen all the white guys? It's why they do well there. You know what I mean? Um, and like, that's not even a joke. That's just true. Um, but she was really well known as an amazing poet. And I like read a bunch of people talking about her as a poet. So I could try to bullshit my way through this. Be like, I know something about poetry. No, I don't. Um, but she was known for, you know, her kind of emotional expression, particularly her poems that expressed anger and outrage at civil and social injustices that she observed throughout her life. Her work often dealt with civil rights issues, feminism, lesbianism, and the exploration in particular of black female identity. And I was like, while preparing this, I was like, oh, if like civil rights and injustices were really, you know, like generative for you, like, ooh, if only she had lived now. She'd have so much to say, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I was like, ooh, girl, you were born at the wrong time. Um, she wrote often about romantic relationships as well as relationships between family members, children and parents. Uh, as well as friends, and she talked very honestly about her own relationship with her parents, which was very difficult. Uh, I, and I personally really appreciate this as a mixed race person. She talked a lot about how she came out of a family that had a lot of internalized racism. Her mother was very cold to her growing up, in part because she was darker than her mother was. And her mother's family only let her mother marry her father because they thought he was very charming for someone that dark. So, you know, it was difficult shit. But she also really talked about how you couldn't separate her identities, right? Like you couldn't think about her lesbianism apart from her blackness. Uh, and in this sense, she really kind of came ahead of the curve, right? Like she was brutally honest, she insisted on thinking about her and taking her as this kind of full and complete person. And so here are some of the books that she wrote. And like, I could go on about all of them. The Cancer Journals, which was a groundbreaking book about her own experience with breast cancer. And she talked a lot about the way in which like the medical industrial complex assumed that the average person with breast cancer was a white upper middle class straight woman. And when she ended up having a mastectomy, they tried to give her like pink, white skin, flesh color, like chicken cutlet prosthetics. Ed would be like, you know, when you wear those in your bra, men will never know. And she was like, okay. First of all, y'all see me, right? Why are you giving me this little pink chicken cutlet? Second of all, this is not for a man. Yeah. And I was like, oh, <gasps> no, it's not. <laughs> and it's great. Um, 
she also founded Kitchen Table Press, or the Women of Color Press in 1980 with Barbara Smith and Sherry Moraga. And this, people don't realize, this is about giving deep shade to academic feminists. It's called Kitchen Table, in part because what they're saying is, and this is related to the book, Bridge Called My Back, who knows that book? Some people, okay, a couple people. It's a good book. Um, she's saying like, theorizing and activism doesn't happen in the academy. That's not where it's born. It's born at the kitchen table. Women talking amongst themselves, consciousness raising. She's like, that's where theory and activism happen. Fuck academia. And I appreciate that as someone where she's like, I'm gonna take a check from academia, but also like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm gonna just start my own press and the title of the press is about shading you bitches. <laughs> Which again, I appreciate that impulse in Jared. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> fuck everyone, yes. She was also poet laureate of New York State from 1991 until her death in 1992. And when I was doing research for this, I found a quote from Governor Mario Cuomo, Mario Cuomo, of Lord when he bestowed her with this honor. And he said, quote, her imagination is charged by a sharp sense of racial injustice and cruelty of sexual prejudice. She cries out against it as the voice of indignant humanity. Audrey Lord is the voice of the eloquent outsider who speaks in a language that can reach and touch people everywhere. First, that is hella fucking eloquent for a government official. <laughs> Like, I was just like, oh, damn. Look at them full sentences. <laughs> they are grammatically correct. There are some multiple syllable words in there. And like, you remember when like, <laughs> government officials were like, let us praise this person who works against racial injustice. That's a like heady before time. Um, and I was like, wah, wah. Uh, and so there's so, like, this is even just a little bit of it. This is, this is what I had to distill down, right? Like, I could talk about all of the other shit she did. Like, for example, she used to go to Berlin just to hang out with people and started the Afro-German movement. Like, just going there every once in a while over a few years, she'd hang out with people and she'd be like, you know, there should be like a black power movement in Germany. Why don't you call it the Afro-German movement? And they were like, okay. <laughs> That's great. And she was like, great, I'll see you later. I'll be back next year, going back to Staten Island. Um, <laughs> she also like founded a fuck ton of organizations. She helped found the Women's Coalition of St. Croix, which was an organization dedicated to assisting women who have been, survived sexual abuse and intimate par partner violence in the late 80s. She also established Sisterhood in Support of Sisters in South Africa to benefit black women who were affected by apartheid. Like she did a ton of shit that also makes me feel a little bit tired when I read about them, <laughs> but you know in this way that I'm like, oh no, I'm not working enough, but, but then I'm like, oh, but the climate change apocalypse is coming, so it doesn't matter. It's fine. Thank goodness for that, right? Um, and so I had to pick out a few things that I wanted to talk about about Audre Lorde. 
And so I picked two, my two favorites. The first is that everyone here knows intersectionality. Yeah. So she's the person who talks about intersectionality before it's cool. And I'm sorry, I was like, oh my God, I'm such a fucking professor. I brought a slide with a big fucking quote on it. Don't worry, I'm gonna read the quote. Don't worry about the quote for a second. It's fine, it's cool. So <laughs> I'm gonna read it, don't worry about it. So <laughs> this is from a book. This is a quote from her book, Sister Outsider, uh, Essays and Speeches from 1984. This is the original cover, which I also love, cause like I love that look where she's just like, that's right, motherfuckers. Like, this is for you. Uh, and it's primarily, a, a lot of it is thinking about difference and intersectionality. And this quote is from um, an essay called uh, The Master's uh, House Will Never, or The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House. And it was actually initially a speech. And it was a speech she gave here at NYU in 1979 as part of a panel. And it's 1979, we're in the like, peak of second wave feminism, you know, second wave feminism. Gloria Steinem's at her top, and Betty Friedan, all those folks, all those like white ladies who are getting jobs in the academy. And she's just like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? So she gets invited to NYU to speak on this panel and she's just like, I'm gonna call all you bitches out in the room right now. And so this is what she says. Those of us who stand outside the circle of this society's definition of acceptable women, those of us who have been forged in the crucibles of difference, those of us who are poor, who are lesbians, who are black, who are older, know that survival is not an academic skill. She's like, I'm fucking looking at you, Steinem. <laughs> it is learning how to take our differences and make them strengths. For the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us to temp temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. And this fact is only threatening to those women who still define the master's house as their only source of support. And I wanted to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And I wanted to include this because white people, there is an election coming. And I'm a Canadian who has to live here now. And I can't vote, so please don't fuck this up. Like for real. I miss my nationalized healthcare system. For real, okay? Okay. Now I'll talk about my second thing that I love about her. My second thing that I love about her is like, she is sexy. She is like, sex is amazing. Why don't we talk about it more? And if you remember, second wave feminists, there was like this wave of anti-sex, anti-porn, second wave feminists who were like, sex is evil, sex is horrible, sex is the way in which women are kept repressed and down. And she was like, fuck that. The erotic is amazing. And so also in that same book, she has a piece called The Uses of the Erotic, The Erotic as Power. Also, look at the fucking big dick energy in that picture. <laughs> like, makes me wanna change my hair, right? I feel like this is the trajectory towards which I am tending. 
but I'm not there yet. Um, and so like, she's very anti-aesthetic. She's like, no, we really need to recognize the erotic as this space for women and women's empowerment. She's like, actually the power is in acknowledging the desire that we have, that the erotic can make us into these other things, right? And she's like, yes, in reality, like culture has actually misused the erotic, but we need to disentangle that and realize that is in fact one of the most self-responsible sources of power. And so she ends up saying, this is one quote of many, um, but the erotic offers as well, a, uh, a well, offers us a well of replenishing and provocative force to the woman who does not fear its revelation, nor succumb to the belief that sensation is enough. Within the celebration of the erotic in all our endeavors, my work becomes a conscious decision, a longed for bed which I gratefully, or which I enter gratefully and from which I rise up empowered. I love her. She was like, you can't take fucking from me. That's part of my liberation. And like, it better be. Cause like, I don't wanna be part of a movement where there's no fucking. That's maybe just like a personal thing, but I don't. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm gonna follow her lead. Um, so I wanted to end tonight. I was like, do I end with talking about her dying? Cause that's kind of a downer. She died, she had cancer, it was a thing. Um, but I thought instead I would end on an up note. And so I wanted to talk about the Audre Lorde project, which, woo, the Audre Lorde project is amazing. So inspired by Audre Lorde's work, the Audre Lorde Project is a center for community organizing, particularly for lesbian, gay, bisexual, two-spirit, trans, and gender non-conforming people of color. Uh, and they focus particularly around community organizing in the New York area. They work in a lot of different realms. They'll help folks with employment issues and with healthcare access issues. And these are just like some of the amazing programs they have, like Safe Outside the System. It's an anti-violence program that is devoted to challenging hate and police violence by using community-based strategies rather than relying on the police. They also publish a safe party toolkit so if you're like a party planner and you want to figure out like how do I have a safe accountable party where we don't have to call the police if we have a problem they have tips for that uh, they also have the group trans justice for trans and gender non-conforming people of color and third space support which is for lesbian gay bisexual two-spirit trans and gender non-conforming people of color who struggle with issues around employment education healthcare, and immigration status so they're an amazing group if you need, if you're like, I want to donate money to someone to alleviate my guilt. Because <laughs> I know there's a lot of white guilt out there. <laughs> You've been told. I pointed three times. So you know now. So like, fucking do it. Thanks.
That was Professor Catherine Clune Taylor telling the story of the one and only Audre Lorde. So fun fact, Sister Outsider is actually sold out nationwide at the moment, but please check out Audre Lorde's other works. I read Uses of the Erotic when I was 24, and that book is sexy, it is powerful, and it made me angry that I had been sexually active for five years before having read that. Uh, you guys can do the math on that. Now, there's a video of Audre Lorde reading it on YouTube, so if you want to treat yourself to that and a nice glass of Merlot, that's for free, be my guest. Sounds amazing. As we mentioned up top, please, please support Catherine by directing funds to her Venmo at Catherine-Taylor-23 and support trans people of color always by donating to the Emergency Relief Fund, which provides bail funds to keep trans folks in NYC out of prison. You can find links in our episode description along with some more resources on helping black trans folk because Nina Pop and Tony McDade's lives mattered. And thank you so much for tuning in. Keep an ear out for our episodes dropping next week. Hey y'all, if you love this show and want to support us, please tell your friends. The more people who listen, the more we get to do this. And if you're near New York City at all, bring them to our live show. Nevertheless, She Existed is a production of Caveat Media. It's produced by me, Kylie Holloway, and edited by Paula Pickering. Our executive producers are Kate Downey and Ben Lilly. Head to caveat.nyc for live shows and coming soon, more podcasts. And if you like this podcast, please remember to hit that subscribe button and rate and review. Subscribe!